This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Our guest today is Nitin Rakesh, who is the CEO of Emphasis. Uh, Nitin, thank you so much for joining us at Knowledge at Wharton. My pleasure. So, I, everyone talks about how the world of technology is changing today. Uh, in the role that you have as the CEO of Emphasis, how do you see that? What kind of challenges does that create for companies that are trying to grapple with digital transformation? Are, are the CEOs you encounter really aware of what a big deal this is? Great question, Mukul. I think uh, I just want to give you a little perspective of why we are seeing what we are seeing and, and what is leading us to this point where disruption through technology, especially digital technologies, is seemingly very, very uh, immensely uh, scary right now. This hasn't happened overnight. This started with what we now commonly know as Moore's Law 40 years ago. right? And one thing about technology is that uh, while human mind thinks in linear fashion, technology advancement is actually exponential. And the reason for that is you know, tied to what, what Gordon Moore said 40 years ago. So a congruence of many independent technologies that were on their own exponential paths, whether it's semiconductors, whether it was, you know, we know what happens to uh, to cell phones, adoption of uh, smartphones, just the, f- the ability to write software, the congruence of everything that came together when, when the, the iPhone was discovered. Uh, look at what is happening in genetics and genome mapping. Look at what's happening in solar power and the exponentiality that brought into the adoption. And the other beautiful thing about this, this exponential curve is that the capabilities rise up exponentially and the price declines exponentially because they're, they go hand in hand. And hence, the congruence of all of these technologies around robotics, genetics, you know, ability of, of, of uh, chips and microprocessors, uh, nanotechnology, has today come to a point where we are at the cusp of what I really call the next digital revolution. Uh, people are calling it Industrial 4.0. I mean, you can call it what you want. But the reality of this is that, in my view, every business today is a digital business. Some just don't know it yet. And, and the reason I say that is that when you, when you kind of zoom out a little bit uh, and look at what has happened in certain industries, the common thread that starts emerging is any industry that has a very heavy consumer element, end consumer element, actually was the first to get disrupted. You know, whether it was retail with Amazon, whether you look at payments with the likes of PayPal and Square, uh, or you start looking at retail lending, Right, um, Lending Tree is a great example. SoFi is a great example. And the reason for that is that the center of universe 20 years ago used to revolve around what your core systems can support. And businesses would go around building a business around the core applications and the core systems. If you're an insurance company, you have an underwriting system, you have a claim system, you have a, you have a policy admin system, and that would determine how you run your business. But over the last 10 years, Customer is starting to drive based on the rapid advancement in consumer-facing technology of what kind of service he wants, when he wants it, and how he wants it delivered. And that actually has turned the whole model on its head. And and that's why, I mean, you're, you're starting to see this rapid Amazonization of the world, which is essentially a combination of all of these things coming together. So what if we were to take the three industries, take financial services, 
insurance and real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, how has technological disruption or digital disruption impacted these industries? And what do you hear from these companies as the biggest concerns that they have? So let's take financials, retail financial services, right? Think of brokerage or wealth management. It wasn't uncommon for you to pay 2% commissions 20 years ago. And you're probably paying two basis points or five basis points today. That too, if the brokerage platform is lucky. The way you would deal with, with your broker was pick up the phone and call him. The way you deal with the broker today is on an app or on an, on an online platform. And that exponentiality has actually emerged. So while the volumes have gone up multifold because there is scalability and, and, and that much more ability of people to access the markets, the prices have fallen exponentially as well. Which means if you did not have the ability to be in front of your consumer in any channel that they want to deal with you on, you're actually going to start losing market share. Same thing is going to start happening to wealth management. Um, yes, there is always going to be a human element. But 70% of the time, a financial advisor today is, is dealing with administrative issues, not really advising customer. They're probably doing it 30% of the time. In my view, that will actually flip pretty quick because the ability of technology, especially automation and robotics, RoboAdvisor is a great example, will actually uh, give you that much more ability to focus on where the customer value add is going to be. So if you're not focused on where you're adding value, you'll get commoditized and you'll essentially lose market share. Now let's look at another example of uh, financial services, payments. Right? The way you dealt with payments, uh, mostly physical or and, and plastic, now it's actually turned fairly heavily into digital and wallets. The fastest growing segment of the payment industry is digital wallets. Contactless, you need no swipe needed. It's a wave. In many cases, it's a tap on your phone. And again, if you're, if you're not set up to, uh, to deal with that, you're going to start seeing disintermediation. Think of all the wallet providers that didn't exist but are now making billions of dollars in revenue. Where's that revenue coming from? It's coming from either the issuers or the networks. Right? So clearly, you're starting to see that squeeze on, on that industry as well. Now let's talk, talk about insurance. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the real great stories in insurance actually doesn't even start in the insurance industry. It hasn't even started yet, if you ask me. What Uber is going to do to the future of transportation, in my view, is going to turn transportation into a service. When that happens with potentially driverless cars in the next 10 years, maybe 12 years, I mean, I'm not smart enough to predict how long it'll be, but I am smart enough to tell you it'll be sooner than you and I think. When that happens, what happens to insurance? How do you price risk? Because today you're pricing risk based on individuals driving history. How many sharp turns he makes, how many sharp breaks he does, what's the average speed he follows. What happens to all of that when, when the driver in the driverless car is software? Right. So I think that disruption hasn't even started yet. What has started is you've already seen the squeeze because of disintermediation and availability of information and 15 minutes can save you 15% or more. All of that is information you know, explosion. So the first wave of was information explosion, data explosion. Second wave hasn't even hit us yet, or the third wave, whatever you call it, hasn't even hit us yet, primarily because the impact of these technologies over the next 10 years will be 10x of the last 10 years. So how, how is the insurance industry thinking about this? And what are they doing to prepare? I think uh, there is a pretty significant uh, degree of... Uh, uh, so there are two things. This is kind of a two-speed world. You have to do run your current business as is because you have to keep, keep one eye on that while you prepare for the future. And I don't think everyone's still fully prepared for the, for, the, for the current business either because of 
just the fact that they're still so core systems focus or centric that they haven't enough invested enough in client facing tech or essentially the intelligence layer that sits between core systems and customer so there's a lot of focus right now on how do you deal with data and how do you apply data in a cognitive way how do you personalize insurance for each consumer which i think is the right thing to do for the current big book of business i actually personally haven't seen a lot of effort being made on i mean there's a lot of skepticism around around transportation as a service or driverless cars at this point in time regulatory reasons just the development of 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 that software uh, the maturity of that of that model uh, and the blips on the road that that are that are going to happen but i think it's going to sneak up us on uh, sneak up on us so fast that we're probably not going to have time to respond and react the smarter ones that i know of are actually preparing for a future looking at how the business model will evolve how do you price risk i know of one insurance carrier that uh, is actually on a on a road map to um, unbundle their underwriting system and the risk system and really look at other than they currently use 90 plus parameters to price risk and they've narrow, narrowed down three to identify which are the most important in the future because 90 percent of the risk can be priced with these three right but that basically means they will have to really go f- you know start at the front which is in a, at the con- at the consumer level and then go backwards you know versus the core systems which is kind of the back to front model today so i think it's a, it's a long road ahead in terms of preparedness uh I would like more CEOs to think about this as a real imminent very near term threat versus just thinking about it as a 10 12 15 year old outlook because as I said technology's exponentiality you know is is hard to to realize it sneaks up on you. When you think of the consequences of all the things you're describing for uh, IT companies uh how will the IT companies need to change in order to address these needs uh that their clients have I mean, you've raised one of my most uh, favorite topics <laughs> and the reason i say that is uh, i mean i said it earlier right every business is a digital business some just don't know it yet and i think they'll all realize it sooner rather than later what that means for our industry is that we'll have a lot more to play in because technology becomes the core of every business especially digital technologies which means if we have the the ability and the capability to help large enterprises embrace adopt and and transform themselves then we become a very you know important cog in that wheel so we have the tailwind of the 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 spending capability to be there we have to really be able to transform ourselves with new technologies invest in the capabilities have a point of view that we can take to our customers and help them transform and i think that uh, that opportunity is uh, is a secular opportunity over the next 10 15 20 years which is why i genuinely believe that the future of our industry is really tied to how we can embrace these and how can we actually help clients transform specifically now turning from it companies to emphasis sure. uh you know the company is at a very interesting point right now there's a a new major majority shareholder in blackstone sure. there's new leadership and you 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 have recently arrived uh how do you see the opportunities and uh, that 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 you have to to uh, build value in this space sure i think emphasis is also in a unique position because uh, we come from a fairly pedigreed uh, shareholding which was hp you know uh, learned a lot working with hp for 10 plus years uh, built some capability that was very very uh, you know unique to to that era and that time and then over the last 5 years the company took further steps to invest in in what i am now calling digital or consumer facing tech uh, or the ability to apply what i call cognitive and cloud capabilities uh, and we are very well positioned there i think with with blackstone the best 
realization that all of us are having is that they are longer term than long term. Mm-hmm. Which means they really want to do the right things to invest in the right areas and to move the company along in a way that we can actually be a, a leading edge next generation you know, IT services company. And that's the roadmap that we are following right now. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to what your strategy is going to be. Specifically, I've heard of something called X2C2. Uh, what, sure. what does that stand for sure. and what's the strategy? Uh, you know, great, uh, great question again. Uh, if you think about what I just said, right, uh, I think the revolution is in front of the consumer. The consumer-facing tech, powered by a very strong, intelligent, cognitive layer, really is driving uh, pretty much every, every enterprise, every industry we know of. And then at the back end, our core systems. Um, what we are trying to really do is uh, help our enterprise clients, banks, insurance companies, logistics players, real estate players, you, you name it, help them really embrace this consumer-facing front-end view of the world and pivot their model to actually keep the consumer in the middle. And we are calling it a front-to-back transformation. And the two pillars of that transformation, uh, or the two bookends, one is hyper-cloud, one is hyper-personalization. Um, hyper-cloud because every large new initiative has to be cloud-native, because it has to be digital-native, and hyper-personalization because the consumer is in the middle. So the two things that power this is cloud and cognitive. X2C square stands for anything to cloud powered by cognitive, because those are the two pillars of this entire front-to-back transformation strategy that we believe very strongly our, our enterprise clients need today. Now, what do you think are some of the biggest risks that keep you up at night in implementing this strategy, and how do you think those can be mitigated? Sure. I think there are there are two broad risks that um, I really worry about. The first one is uh, tied to what I earlier said. Our fortunes are tied to our customers' fortunes, right? And I just worry that uh, maybe not a lot of our clients have embraced this uh, this d- digital disruptive threat as uh, um, at at the scale that they need to, so so if that business their businesses start getting disrupted, you know that has a pretty significant impact on our businesses too, uh, especially in retail financial services, retail insurance, which is a large part of what we do today. Right, mortgage is a great example as well. Right? Uh, so that's something that we constantly. That's the reason I'm so vocal about you know bringing this to the fore. That's the reason you know we we work with Knowledge at Wharton to to spread that message to our consumers, our customers. And we'll continue to do, to do a lot more work in that area to, to spread that message. The second really is, uh, this is a pivot for us as well, right? Uh, while we are um, well positioned, you know, compared to our peers, we still have to balance the core IT services, you know, the traditional IT with the digital IT. And, and the biggest, uh, biggest pivot we need to make is with our people, right? And how do you make sure that you're able to provide that opportunity and the platform uh, and bring that talent along uh, and embrace new technology in a way that it, it becomes complementary, it becomes bionic, rather than a debate between automation and human. And that, I think, is, is, is a journey that we are on. Uh, it's not an overnight journey. It's a, it's a journey that will take us three to five years, just like you, know, you can imagine any large enterprise has to pivot. So I think these are the two biggest challenges that I think about. Um, and, and, and the more we can do for these two, um, you know, the less it still feels. Right. I, I also would love to understand a little bit more about how you think about positioning emphasis in this broad automation space, because the way I, it seems to me is that on the one hand, you have the large, you know, the IBM Watson and, and, and Google and Amazon and all these companies, Microsoft, 
doing their own thing in the whole field of artificial intelligence and machine learning, sure. etc. On the other hand, there are also many of the Indian IT uh, services companies, uh, TCS, uh, etc., Wipro, uh, Infosys, etc., who are also trying to carve out their own space in this broad area. Uh, where would you position emphasis is sweet spot sure. in this? I think, uh, think of us as, uh, as the specialist player that understands your industry really well because we are very focused on a few segments of the market. Right. We are not trying to be everything to everybody. Right. We've chosen those, uh, those industries and, and those sweet spots based on uh, our capabilities and our investments. I talk about things like uh, wealth management. I talked about retail banking, consumer banking, PNC insurance, um, mortgage. Those are good examples of where we actually got depth. We are complementing that depth with this cloud and cognitive capability. And we are not in the market to build a product or, or to actually say we have the best automation platform because we are not even building one. What we, are, what we are building is we are actually shamelessly leaning on all the work that's out there in open source. <laughs> right. And we are bringing to you the ability to orchestrate and apply that to your business. Right? So, so we are, we are not trying, trying to compete with Watson. But if you believe Watson can do something for you, we are the guys who can actually help you implement, uh, you know, whether it is the, the, the latest machine learning algorithms from TensorFlow Google or integration with AWS and Alexa. We are, we are basically the guys who will actually help you implement that. So think of us as people who have a very strong point of view, know your industry, know the, you know, have the knowledge of what's happening in the cloud and cognitive world and can actually bring it all together in a, in a way that we can orchestrate you to transform yourself. Wonderful. I have a, like to end with a few sort of questions about your personal leadership journey. Sure. So before coming to emphasis, you were at Sintel for many years. Uh, what's the difference between being the CEO of emphasis and your leadership journey at uh, Sintel? And most importantly, what were the leadership skills that you needed to develop in order to become the CEO of emphasis? Um, I think uh, I have a slightly classical view of leadership. I think... Uh, and I differentiate uh, leadership from managerial skills. Uh, and I think leadership is something that transcends time. Management skills actually have to evolve to keep up with time. And the reason I say that is uh, that leadership is all about finding a vision, aligning people to that vision, because in the end, you know, you have to lead people in, in, in your, your roles like mine. And then finally, putting an execution plan around that, which then can be managed. I think the, the leadership skills haven't changed since time immemorial, whether in any field, right? Even in business over the last 150 years since the, the business uh, schools have started to document leadership capabilities, the skills are pretty consistent. With one big difference, and that difference is that the time scales have shrunk rapidly, right? What used to be a 20-year view of strategy or a 10-year view of strategy now needs to be agile, just like, you know, the whole... Uh, the whole world around you is, especially with technology. So and I think technology is causing that time scale to shrink even faster. Globalization is cause, has caused it to shrink faster as well. So I think that that's kind of my overall view on leadership. My personal leadership style is, I believe, leadership is, leadership is a contact sport. Uh, you have to be in front of every stakeholder, uh, whether it is your employees, your customers, your shareholders, your partners, so I'm very much a, a, a contact sport believer when it comes to leadership style. Uh, I also like uh, to believe that management by vision is, uh, is something that actually works very well for me rather than managing by objectives alone. Um, I mean, I like to surround myself with people who can actually then work towards those objectives. Uh, 
uh, I think I've had a great run at uh, at Sintel. Um, I grew through the ranks. Um, I learned a lot working with a wonderful set of people, a wonderful set of uh, founders. And uh, the challenge at Emphasis is a little different. And the challenge is, uh, firstly, I think we are emerging from the shadows of a large IT company, HP, and before that, EDS. So we need to now find our own identity. Uh, we need to create and establish our own identity. We need to turn our subconscious competence into a conscious strategy and a, and a, and, and a position in the market. Uh, again, great experience working with Blackstone, uh, great experience uh, you know, working with our, our customer set. Um, it's been a, a fabulous journey for me over the last six months that you know, I've been here in, in kind of coming in laterally into a role. The org has responded fantastically. I've got a you know, very warm welcome. Uh, we've set ourselves priorities, uh, you know, that are that are now being played out in in some of our strategic discussions that we're having. Uh, we talked a little bit about you know the the cloud and cognitive pillars and the domain and domain strength that we have. Uh, so it's a very very exciting you know journey. We are uh, we've made a very good start, uh, and we think we are going to continue to become uh, you know a leader as this transition continues. Wonderful. And uh, one last question: How how do you define success? Uh, <laughs> I think uh, we've set ourselves uh, certain goals. Um, those goals obviously have to be met because at the end of the day, uh, in my fiduciary role, I have to maximize shareholder return. So that's one parameter of success. But the bigger parameter of success is every stakeholder that we are working with uh, should actually be uh, be able to experience this growth, and I call it inclusive growth. So we've set ourselves you know, what I call the four dimensions of growth as our targets, right? Consistent growth. Distinct, dis, uh, differentiated growth, profitable growth, and inclusive growth. And inclusive growth really means every stakeholder actually should experience that growth with us. Uh, and, and that's kind of the way I look at how we can we can succeed over the next three, five, five seven years. Great. Nitin, thank you so much for speaking with uh, Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you so much for having me. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 